HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant. Learn more at KermitLynch.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're talking organization. Not mise en place or keeping your knives in a row, but labor organizing. If any restaurant worker is listening to this and is like, yes, I want something different, but I don't know where to start. First step they just need to do is to find one of us and get plugged in. As independent contractors, they can't directly tell people, you know, when or, or where to work, but by using sort of gamified nudges to push people, that is sort of how they um, move the workforce around. Tune in to Meet in 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Pascaline Lepeltier. We'll talk to Pascaline about wine, the restaurant biz, life during the pandemic, her Chapika wines, Racines, and more. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Pascaline Lepeltier is truly one of the most respected sommeliers in the world. As a former master sommelier, she has received numerous awards, including Un de Melor Ouver de France, pardon my French. Born in the Loire Valley of France, it is no secret of her love for Chenin, Chenin, Chenin. She is a true evangelist of natural wines and also makes Chepica wines with her friend Nathan Kendall in the Finger Lakes of New York. Pascaline is a prolific writer and also collaborated with Alice Fearing for The Dirty Guy to Wine. She is a partner with David Lilly in Racines, New York, overseeing a 2,000-plus wine list of mostly natural organic and biodynamic wines served beside Diego Moya's incredible food. Welcome back to the Grape Nation, my dear friend Pascaline. 
Hi, Sam. It's, it's good to be back with you and, and to hear your voice again like that. Hey, same here. Um, we're talking to Pascaline remotely. We're talking via Zencaster. Pascaline, where are you right now? Uh, I'm still home. Uh, okay, my, in, in yeah. New York, right? In New York, in Harlem. Okay, um, very cool. All right, so let's get right into it. So it looks like we're finally coming out of the pandemic. Um, this is a very broad question, you know, so you could take it wherever you want, but there's probably a lot to talk about. I'm very curious about how your life was during the pandemic, which hopefully is, you know, uh, more of a memory now. And now that things are easing up, you know, how things are changing and, you know, what are you starting to do? You're getting back into a routine, you know, how different is life? You know, just tell me your thoughts, feelings, and actually, you know, what you're doing. <laughs> right? I said I'm, it's I'm, a big I'm, question. I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm going to lay down on my couch so this way you can get my therapy. Okay. <laughs> <I was> therapy <laughs> <laughs> Let me get my pad and pencil. <laughs> Ah, la la, Sam. Um, oh, like, yeah, what, what a year, what a year and a half for, for all of us. Um, for sure, quite a, quite, quite a complicated, powerful, um, in, 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 in also a certain way, enlightening year uh, for, for me. Um, luckily, um, luckily, none of my um, close family, relatives, friends, colleagues, uh, were deadly affected by the virus. So first, I, I have to say, uh, I, I lived it uh, without the overly fear to have some some really close to my heart people that were suffering from it. And I know we are not like that. So I, I felt very lucky um, to have uh, nobody that I that I know that got sick. But uh, yeah, um, it's been it's been an interesting year for sure. Um, for me, it's been interesting because it's been the longest time I ever spent in New York City and even more in an apartment. So uh, I spent the last, last 14 months, except very so brief you, two you, weeks in, in France. Yeah. So right. Been, you're, you know, you're an uber active person, you know, between the restaurant world and side projects and, you know, traveling and all that. So you alluded, you were literally in your apartment, except for a few weeks, doing what? Uh, checking on my family and friends, in fact. I was okay. able to, to squeeze out. And, uh, you know, uh, as you said, um, since I've been to New York, uh, I, I think uh, it's not been like more than a month for me being just in New York. I've been traveling constantly since I'm in the U.S. since 2009. So... Uh, I have to admit that um, last year was quite of, uh, of uh, complicated because for the first time I couldn't go back home and uh, and hope for me is the Loire Valley with my my family and friends uh, and I really felt what that means in a way to be a, an expatriate <laughs> uh, and so uh, also uh, really make me realize that uh, life in restaurant and life pre COVID. Uh, which was, as we all know, uh, especially for probably people working in a metropolis like New York, was not really a life. It was just an intense rhythm of continuous activities without right. no time to breathe, no time to think, no time, no time to, you know, step aside. I, I just realized that uh, I, I was uh, 
very unaware also of what was happening in America and what was going on in New York. So not only I was uh, like separated from my country where I couldn't really come back and having to, you know, feel the distances and feeling the weight of not being close to your to your relatives uh, on the other side of the, of the pound, but I also realized how little I really embraced um, and under, trying to understand the country that has been welcoming me since 12 years. So, Does that give you perspective on, you know, how you do and look at things in the future? I mean, you change it up a little? Yeah, of course. And I have to admit, I was absolutely ashamed uh, that, uh, <laughs> no, but you know how, how, in fact, it's, it's very easy and it's, it's like, I'm, I'm, I have no excuse, but professional life took me in a kind of a fantastic bubble in this country and it's why I was, I came and, and, and was very fortunate to work in restaurant and do my stuff and kind of developed a philosophy and, and I was really living in a bubbles. Um, and last year, as COVID was, of course, an extraordinary painful experience to leave, I have to say that was even more, that shaken even, even more my, my whole year was understanding how America was operating. Right. And a lot of things that I should have known that I should be aware of, I was not. What, so when you say something like that, what's the most interesting thing or, you know, revelation, you know, that you had, cause you had time to pause. Mm, it's, it's, you know, it's, I don't think there is one thing. So right. I think there is a, a billion things. I, uh, you know, first I knew that I always knew, I didn't know America, but I knew New York and more than New York and New Manhattan. Right. <laughs> Super microcosm, uh, yeah. Super microcosm, and I never worked anywhere else. I travel, but I always traveled in a specific or so purpose, which was wine. And in the wine world, probably the 1% of the wine world. I don't say necessarily in terms of pricing, but with a focus right away on, orga- like, uh, on organic and biodynamic farming, I'm interested by the 1% of the agriculture in this country, you know. So, right. Um, and so it was really the revelation of uh, the in, in, incredible, complex, divided personality of Americas with an S. But uh, yeah, no, no. And um, I, I think understanding, like, of course, you are, you know, I, I read, I, I, I understand diversity of America, but the, 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 also the, the political aspect and how everything was ruled in this country. I think I never really understand the difference between state and federal and understand the different layers of powers, different influence, who was in charge of what, right. who was deciding what, and how much that has an influence uh, on your, on your, on your, on, on, on everything. So, you know, I was really, and, and I'm so shame, shameful to say that I was absolutely naive, uh, not about the disparity and the deep rooted problem, but about how the current solution of the democracy in America was not meant to be able to, 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 to offer solutions, at least for the short term. And so realizing that uh, it's, and it's very different than in France. It's totally different than in France. You know, we are both democracy, but we are functioning in a very, very different way. At the core, right. what's the status of individual, what the, like the way you are elected and all that. It's like the police, of course, is also operating in a very different way. Not necessarily better, but different. Right. Um, and, so, uh, and so you realize that, especially with COVID, the 
more than ever, this country build on a certain idea of individual and the idea you can power through if, if you have the will, the talent and the guts. was probably truer than ever. And the, 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 the way that uh, individuals um, were able to, to, uh, to probably act in making some transformative actions uh, over the last year was a revelation, as well as realizing they couldn't really do whatever you want unless there is also dramatic and drastic legal change. So it was a very, um, it, it was it, it was really, um, uh, uh, yeah, um, realizing what does that mean if you deeply believe in certain cause and you want to in, like put yourself in certain type of activism, how do you really make that happen in America? How... What, what, how can you be a real actor of change? And uh, what are the players in, in charge and how much one individual can do and how much political and which political power can be? Uh... So now that you're aware of that, you know, and your life kind of morphs back to what you were doing, do you change it up a little and, you know, try to be aware and be more involved, juggle more things? Yeah, I, you know, I, um, I, I've, I, I thought I was involved in just my daily practice with a choice of of of, uh, of, of life of businesses. I was I was right. uh, I, w- I was ruling in the way of the thing I was um, I was defending. You realize it needs to be it needs to be uh, in a certain way it needs to be more. Uh, you realize that uh, um, you know the a lot like I'm, I'm still I have to say some it's been a lot of, of things to take uh, for right. me and uh, culturally a lot of things to absorb that I was not uh, um, you know really understanding before so I've been in a kind of a more introspective position recently just to really try to understand how I can really be the actor of change uh, that I want to be Right. Where and how, you know, um, not everybody can do everything. Uh, well, the, the great thing is that you're thinking about it and, you know, you will act, you know, the way you want, when you want, which, you know, everybody has a COVID story where there's a positive, the common one being, you know, spending more time with their family than they ever did. But, you know, with you, it was a multitude of things, um, you know, I'm just curious when you look at uh, the industry, New York, the country. Um, and I, I had a lot of guests on. A lot of people in the industry spoke up about diversity, inclusion, equality, sexual harassment, you know, like never before. Um, it, brought of a lot, it brought a lot of attention to the industry. You know, I think some people knew it existed. A lot didn't. Um, and that was one another one of the things the pandemic, you know, brought out. Um, do you think, because a lot of this has been brought to the surface and discussed, do you think that post pandemic, you know, an industry like the hospitality can act and move in the right direction, um, addressing those issues of inclusion, equality, diversity, sexual harassment? I mean, what's your thoughts? 
I, I, first, I don't think there is any any kind of way back. So things need to be addressed. That's for right. sure. After that, I, I think also what I'm realizing is we are all talking about the restaurant industry or the restaurant community. I don't think there is such one single restaurant industry or one single restaurant community. It's way more diverse. There is way more uh, different way of uh, of the business to be to be operated. Uh, what are you talking about when you're really talking about the restaurant community? You know, it's like yeah. the wine industry. It goes pretty wide community. when you think about it, right? So it's, it goes more pretty wide. And I think we are oversimplifying something that is way more complex. You know, um, you, you, can't, you can't necessarily compare uh, 100 plus different units, fast food, corporate driven with franchise and uh, I agree. A, a, a single unit restaurant. So now we are... There will be this kind of front. There will be definitely the independent restaurant association that showed that you could find a union in and find and got some voice that could be heard at the highest level, and they could get something out of the government. But what we're realizing is we are so. I wouldn't say the question is not divided, but it's a lot of very single unity, you know, and. Right. Uh, for addressing problems like we are seeing today, uh, some of them are individual, linked to some behaviors of some people. But in terms of some of the structural problem, we can't change things without having a common voice about how to make these changes financially possible. You know, uh, we have been. That's a big about- undertaking, though. That's a big one, but you know this idea that that we, a lot of people were talking about the tipping the tipping system and the right. health insurance for workers, um, and how is it not possible that more employees in restaurant were access to that? Um, the fact that we are more than thousands of thousands of individual businesses doesn't allow for the structural change to happen, which is in that case, maybe rethinking uh, what does it mean to work in restaurant business? You know, does right. it mean that you have to have the tip? The tips has been on a, on, on, a, on, a, on a burning since quite some times, but we kind of are to be facing, and I can say that as a restaurateur and somebody working in a restaurant in New York here, we, we, we know that it's, it's 99% impossible to transfer to certain living wage at a higher price point today because people are not ready to spend more money for their food and how the food is, is made and prepared. So there is some structural issue about what does that mean to be able to make these transitions that we need, including getting a better salary to people, getting some condition of work that are more decent, getting uh, access to the diversity because thanks to this better salary and better condition of work, we can attract more talents. Right. And this is also something that I realized that in, uh, that that the restaurant industry, and I can probably say that now as a whole, was for this country, you know, they were, it, it seems like it was kind of a buffer for helping with uh, people without, uh, without necessary competencies that just wanted some side work, some gig work, right. some like the restaurant industry has been playing an absolutely crucial role in the employment system in America, allowing all these people to have a job 
maybe a fragile job, but to have a part-time job, a job where they couldn't get a job anywhere else because it's getting more and more complicated to find a job without competency at part-time just for couple of days a month and all that and restaurant industry below that so there is a structural thing here that is i think request a, a lot of thoughts and c- can't only be solved by just the, the or could be solved by the will of of insiders and people uh, on the ground every day but should go to a, ne- a next level you know i was talking with a friend thinking about okay maybe there is something to do with uh, uh sales tax and seeing that maybe a percentage of the sales tax in a certain state could be give back to the restaurant so they can raise the salary of their staff so we could potentially give higher pay rate you know so it's 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 uh, there is a, a, an economical sh- struggle i don't mean it's not possible but it's 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 um it's making you really realize how complicated it is to change once again a whole industry when there is no kind of union representation or ability for all these entities to i i agree when you said it's you know not impossible it's a very very difficult task you know and it's going to require the will of a lot of people and I know there are good people out there, but I just don't feel that, you know, there's a big enough groundswell. Um, hopefully, little by little, you know, you, you have to be hopeful. No, no, you have to be hopeful and you have, you know, to uh, have some some leaders, or rest, like some, it's like everywhere, you have to have some leaders, can be famous restaurant or other units that are showing it's possible to right. act in a different way. But it also means that you are deciding in a very specific way how you want to run your business. And what is your priority? Um, so, so when you apply that to your own world, and I'll define your world as, you know, you are a partner at Racine's, which is a very vibrant, you know, lively, terrific restaurant. Um, are you making any changes, you know, at Racine's? I mean, was there any enlightenment from the pandemic that coming out of it, you know, you need to and want to do certain things that you either didn't get to, didn't think about, or need to do? Yeah, so the, the pandemic has been, uh, for us, also quite some change at the restaurant because we had to change uh, ownership, partially ownership, so and membership, so it was... Uh, a complicated time in some of administrative things. Uh, our, our original managing partner is that Arno leaving? Yeah, Arno leaving. Okay. Uh, absolutely, Arno. Uh, Arno created and, and founded the restaurant. Decided to go back to France for good to be with his family. Right. So uh, I have to admit that was quite uh, in- tempting. No, no, no. That was not <laughs> okay. I put words <laughs> I, I, in no, your no, mouth. It was, it was not tempting. No, no. It was unless unless the election would have been a different result. Uh, but uh, no, no. But it was it was interesting to have to do all this change during a pandemic. So what uh, when you have one of the founders leaving and you have to change the whole thing? You um, mean the actual business aspect? Yeah, yeah. You know yeah, the, yeah. the 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 partnership yeah. agreements, the all, uh, kind, thing, yeah. all the behind the scenes. Yeah, the all non like wine thing. restaurant fun uh, yeah. stuff. Uh, yeah, no, no, all the legal, all the administration yeah. side. Oof. You know, this really great stuff. I have to say that took quite some time. And so since uh, we we put back everything back together and the new team and the new management. Um, uh, yes, we we 
we are narrating the situation and we are making the changes to go towards some things that we want to do. So for the very first time, we're, we're able now to offer uh, partial health insurance to our staff. Uh, so it was a big stuff that we wanted to do. So uh, that's put in place now um, on top of other other benefits from them and uh, and rebuilding the team. You know, um, this is also what you see for the moment, the limits and how you, you want to do that on a single unit restaurant. Uh, right. But every small set changes uh, have been done uh, at a lot of different levels. Um, Do you have a team in place? I mean, were you able to bring people back? You know, there's talk about having trouble hiring people, even though there's jobs out there. Are you okay with all that? So we um, we we were lucky to to be able to rehire part of our staff uh, when we reopened for the first time in in September last year. Uh, and now, indeed, we are uh, with all the. Um, we, we are reopening very carefully. Also, we did. A, we took a lot of decision about uh, for safety, how we wanted to do, and uh, what financially was possible and operationally was possible. So, we can't do outdoors. We decided not to do any partitions. We are keeping a thirty-five and a fifty percent occupancy rate to make right. sure everybody feels safe coming. <laughs> Um, and so now that we are, we can grow a tiny bit because of uh, the evolution. Yes, we are hiring, um, and yeah, it's uh, some of our previous team member uh, left the city like uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, others are moving up to uh, to more senior positions, so we are looking to hire staff uh, right now. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, indeed uh, indeed it's uh, it's not as as uh, it's not as easy. Uh, right. but more than ever, we are, as we are operating all the change at the restaurant, we are really looking for individuals that are ready to, to help us or, and to work with us and to be also part of, of the evolution of uh, the philosophy of the place, which goes, this is where you realize that even though we were very careful about our sourcing, the products, the short circuit, our suppliers, right. um, it goes behind that. And uh, the, even if, I think we, we gave some pretty good condition of work. We can absolutely do better. So continuing to improve that side. So we can make a pitch to people. If you're listening to the show <laughs> and you're a wine professional, um, just reach out to Racine's because there aren't better people in a better place to work. Um, <laughs> I think like me, you worry about the wine business. And when you look at the wine business, you know, you have retailers, importers, you know, restaurants. Um, but I, you know, as I've been doing this show, I've learned a lot. I worry mostly about, you know, the smaller wineries um, here and abroad. Um, can they survive? I mean, was this such a gut punch that they can't get out of this or, you know, they'll be okay? Because, you know, I know one thing you do is you have relationships with a lot of wineries, a lot of small wineries, winemakers, and I'm just not sure how they did and if they can come out. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, no, yeah, absolutely. The whole industry was shaken, and uh, that's for sure. So I, I have to admit, I've been um, I've, I've been more in touch with uh, with a lot of people in France. Um, as the situation was slightly different, also in the US, and I haven't, I, I know of how little things were on the West Coast and Finger Lakes, and it, it was complicated for quite some people, especially the one working with restaurant to 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 change uh, to to change uh, their, their market and to go more to 
to to retail and or to direct to consumer. Uh, but I feel like overall, um, overall the transition was was doable. Um, uh, in in does, France, does Europe struggle more than we will, or vice versa? Uh, I think st- Europe, Europe, and especially the four countries that was affected by the Trump tax, struggled right. a little bit, bit, bit more, just because they were um, right. just some 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 people were heavily relying on on the U.S. You know, U.S. is today the biggest importer of wine uh, in the world, so it's 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 not a small thing when suddenly. Uh, your, you know, your your, your market uh, almost disappear for a year or plus. Uh, uh, France, I have to say, uh, from what I heard and what I uh, from my from the bunch of people I've been in touch with, uh, switch gears quite easily uh, to retail, direct to consumer, and direct shipping. And retail has been doing very well. Uh, so the, the legislation is different in France. So shipping in all across Europe, for example, is super easy, which is slightly different, of course, uh, yeah. in the US. Um, so no, I, I you know, I, I think we're going to see a fantastic fall. I think the, the people and the desire to drink has never been like it was a last year consumption was was I was just looking at numbers. In fact, this morning, it's good, so, right? Uh, we we the, the the world consumption dropped last year uh, by three percent, um, but it's mainly due to China. In fact, um, ah. so overall, otherwise it was it, it was it stays stagnant uh, for a year like COVID, and it's going to grow only uh, in the next in the next two quarters of twenty twenty one without a doubt. So we're going to see an explosion of consumption. Um, the thing where you need to be worried about is about the structural issues that we're seeing with multiple, uh, I would say, damages done either by fire, drought, and or frost um, that are really right. coming, uh, in that case, affecting the production. And the frost in Europe, we, the, the last number we read was about, in France, minus 30% for the production in 2021. So, which is major. Uh, people are still waiting for the flower to be uh, to be out and, and to see exactly what are the damages by the different uh, waves of frost, like more than 15 days of frost in, the, in certain area, which is crazy. But this is more the, the issue I think we're going to see in the future is like this, uh, this domain, this winery is affected over and over and over every other year uh, by uh, uh, like natural catastrophes. Um, and how how you can how you can survive with that, which leads to this idea that with climate change, with all the issues that we're seeing, with a massive problem in wood disease and all the type of disease uh, in the vineyard all over the world, um, maybe the, a certain model of, of monoculture with income only relying on grape and wine production uh, may not be. Um, the future uh, or needs to be adapted uh, for a lot of wineries. So like here, I think that's going to be really hard for a lot of small guys, uh, 2021. Yeah, you know, it's a good point. On top of enduring COVID, the natural, you know, disasters and climate change have preceded that, you know, already for five years. And like you said, I mean, France and Italy went through incredible frost. Um, but this is where we need to to realize that uh, as uh, the world consumption uh, is kind of stagnant but grows, especially in certain countries, uh, production is to continue to increase. Uh, but the question is, how do we want that 
production to increase. And I think it, it goes back to all the issues that we have been talking about right. in America in a very vivid way, or the social issue, economical issue, and ecological issues. And I think that has been at the forefront of understanding what does that mean to produce today, especially in a, in an agricultural field. What does that mean to grow grapes? For which price? You know, at I, which had, price? I had Raj Parr on a couple of weeks ago, and he basically packed it in in Santa Barbara and moved up to Cambria to Phelan Farm, where he's trying to create a monoculture, you know, dynamic permaculture, you know, farming opera with animals and not mm-hmm. just grapes and all of that and considering, you know, the water and the temperature. And it's going to be interesting, you know, to see how he does. He was influenced by uh, um, Topless Creek and Nate Reddy and, you know, mm-hmm. people in France. So, you know, hopefully we'll see more of that. Um, what... With everything changing, I mean, are people's, um, when you talk about consumption, are, are people's tastes changing? You know, you hear about early on people were buying cheaper wines and now they're moving back towards, you know, more expensive wines. Um, I mean, do you see it in the restaurant? Do you see it around you? I mean, with all the changes, did people's wine preferences change? Um. <clears throat> You know, it's been it's been too early for me to say. You yeah. know, I'm, I just and honestly, I've been really so much focusing on on the restaurant, uh, not paying enough attention. Like, it's not paying attention. No, no, I'm paying attention to 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 my, some of my colleagues and what I can hear from. Uh, it's too early, too, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. No. You know, I I, I just I, I just have the feeling that it will be business as usual as soon as we are going to get back on track. Uh, well, to I've, the to the business point. Um, a, a bunch of questions about that. I mean, it's going to be a while before we see Italian winemakers, French winemakers, Austrian winemakers come into these big portfolio tastings, right? I'm not sure. Hopefully, I mean, you're hopeful that maybe soon. I I, I don't I I don't I'm not saying I'm hopeful. Um, I think I think for a lot of winemakers and a lot of my friends in France were saying that how appreciative they were to spend a whole year in their vineyard and not having to be in a plane or a train every other right. week. So there is definitely uh, there was definitely uh, an appreciation for that. Uh, on the other hand, I I I'm I'm I tend to be a bit cynical. So I'm, I I'm, I feel like uh, maybe not as often. But and because especially now that we we've been all trained very well to Zoom testing and virtual right. uh, exchange, it'll be a hybrid. Uh, it will be a hybrid, but I I, I still believe in um, you. You will see you will see as soon as it's going to be possible and safely doable. Uh, we will see uh, this fair, this testing, this seminar back. Uh, yeah, I'm, I hope I'm, so. I'm, I'm I'm quite sure about that. Is it good or not? That's another question. But that's also something I've been um, it's funny, discussing yesterday with um, with, a, with colleagues, uh, and one of them is a neuroscientist, and the other one is an analogist. And we are talking about uh, Zoom testing. Right. And we are talking <laughs> about the, the language of Zoom testing. And we, we both, the three of us, we agree that even though you are building up the best seminar and you are in the best condition, you're at home, all that, there is things that 
you can only appreciate and or describe in certain words. And we are more talking in French because uh, we were, we, the debate was really about French vocabulary for wine. And things that you can only say when you're in public and in person. And think that it's going to be very difficult to... And so they're starting to base that on, on some studies they're working on. So it's just not like an intuition or um, just a, an opinion. Um, and so there is a way of tasting and there's a way of, of, of appreciating wines that seems to be possible only in person. And that is a very interesting point because it really reminds you how much wine is a social product. Right. So Very I, much so. So by by that, I would only assume that uh, having people traveling back again, maybe to a lesser degree at the beginning, because we will still feel like, uh, you know, a certain amount of guilt. Uh, of, right. Uh, of, but I I I feel more that 2022 will see a lot of, uh, so, a lot of so stuff back. To that point, uh, a few things to that point. Did you maintain the wine cellar you know the collection at racines obviously you weren't adding or buying did you you know have to liquidate it all and currently are you able to see you know industry people to taste new things and to you know replenish you know or build where's that at Yes, so um, so for for some reason uh, we couldn't really do retail at, at Racine. Huh? Okay, um, a lot of people did. A lot of people did. Uh, we had some in, in, internal uh, issue with that. Uh, okay. So, but uh, but in fact, I know I, uh, I I sold a third of the cellar. Yes, over okay. the last year. Uh, and I sold it to uh, to to mailing list and to regulars of the restaurant. Oh, nice! So the idea was not to put it online and not not to do necessarily an auction. Um, sort or of internal to... pre-selected, you know, yes. known entities. Yeah. And to to in fact, the idea was to to do two things. It was to keep uh, to keep the relationship with our with our with our customers. Uh, so I, I spent a lot of time, in fact, advising a lot of our customers for wine buying over the last year and selling specific stuff from the restaurant, which I'm continuing to do, in fact. And I think we're going to continue to do at, a, at another scale. Are you buying too? I'm starting to buy, yeah. Okay. Uh, and I'm and there to... are reps that'll come in and sit down and open bottles and uh, taste we... with you, as you were uh, yes, talking yes, about? Yes. That's nice, right? Yeah, we, we start again to do that. And uh I prefer that to a sample in a in a in a two ounces bottle. No, no, we have been tasting. In fact, uh, since last uh, last November, I've seen I've been seeing people and tasting right. in very very safe conditions. So now I'm saying to buy again, uh, and with uh, even more uh, certain ideas of how and where I want to take this list. Uh, well, from. there's I wanted to ask you about that because there's been talk of people moving towards. Um, tighter wine lists, even more curated. And the beauty of yours was, you know, that it was you who oversaw it and it was fairly diverse. Where does that go? Um, the diversity will, will continue. Okay. Uh, I think my curiosity for the world of wine is uh, far from being uh, satisfied. <laughs> I think, <there's laughs> I think a, so. 
there is way too many things I want to do. No, the, the wine list, in fact, um, is, is, uh, has been decreasing in terms of the paper version because I right. want to change a little bit the way we're operating from before. So I'm, I'm keeping even, in fact, way more wine not on the list, uh, which was kind of what I was doing at Rouge in the in in past. So starting to do a rotation of stock, starting also to... To keep ones that I want, I don't want to put on the list, uh, not to, for a question of speculation. Also, I have the wine, but uh, they're not going to be publicized uh, because I don't want to have people just coming to drink labels. Uh, so I, I reserve myself a certain right to to see what can sell the wine to at a, at a decent price because I think one of the things that we saw is. Uh, a certain markets of wine uh, I've seen prices exploding right. uh, the, the online crazy. auctions last year the fact that a lot of allocation went to retail that a lot of, of customers could have access to system of wine and then you see them quite quickly after we sold that auction or grey market or secondary market that yeah. pricings are becoming absolutely outrageous uh, is, uh, is, quite, um, is quite insane for me so um, this question of, of price of wine and um, and where the money goes uh, in this market uh, is going to drive a lot of the way I'm going to buy in the future. Um, I well, don't you're, that- you're going to be the person who not necessarily discovers, but will bring, you know, the other interesting wines and, you know, similar types of things um, to the restaurant and the market. You know, people listen to what you do. So that could be exciting. But that's more than ever. Uh, I, I thank you for that, Sam. And, and I think that more than ever, uh, this is definitely the path I want to continue to follow, uh, which is also at the same time encouraging people to trust their palate and to discover and, and to, to get out a little bit of the... It should always be that book. way. <laughs> yeah, but we, we know how it is, you know. It's, yeah, it's, well, it doesn't really work like that. But I think what happened last year, the shaken of a lot of uh, educational program, a lot of interrogation about what that means to teach about one, to learn about one, what are exactly the system where the greed of appreciation, which prejudices or uh, unsaid values are they built on? I, I, I really think that uh, brought people to think a tiny, brought, 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 uh, brought a tiny bit more openness to certain type of wine. Yeah, uh, I agree. So, and yeah, and after yeah. that, you know, you, I don't know how many people, like, in fact, there is more and more that can offer themselves like a two, three, four thousand dollar Grand Cru Burgundy for know, 18 great. vintages. So after, after that, we, we need to have a certain idea of decency for all these prices. And, uh, and if we really want some changes to happen, uh, I hope uh, so. We, we need to continue to orientate a certain way we are buying and, and promoting things um, more than ever. I, I agree. Um, Pascaline, we have to take a quick break. Um, we're talking to Pascaline Lepeltier. Um, Pascaline is a partner at Racines in New York and very much involved in a lot of other things, which we'll talk about. You're listening to the Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant, an importer, retailer, and wholesaler of fine wine from France and Italy, headquartered in Berkeley, California. 
1972, Kermit Lynch opened a retail shop in Berkeley, California with a $5,000 loan and a bit of gumption. He started with just 35 cases of wine stacked on the floor. Kermit grew his business from a retailer into a wholesaler and a national importer of wines from France and Italy. These wines are produced by small family growers who are committed to the old world traditions and culture. It is Kermit's belief that great wine is made in the vineyard, not the cellar. Much like his close friends, the late food writer Richard Olney and Chez Panisse's founder Alice Waters, Kermit's influence has been enduring. He has spent nearly half a century shining the spotlight on small artisan producers. Learn more at KermitLynch.com. K-E-R-M-I-T-L-Y-N-C-H.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest. Pascaline Lapeltier. Um, I want to get to a bunch of things, but um, I can't think of too many better people than you to talk about this. And, you know, we could probably do a show on it, but just give me your feelings. Um, I am correct in saying that you turned your master sommelier pin back, right? Yes, I did. With, you know... Many credible people, you know, Laura Fioravanti, I mean, Richard Betts, the list went on and on. Um, you know, <laughs> I had Dustin Wilson on last week, and, you know, he's not at that point, but obviously he's very critical. You know, the court's gone through serious testing, you know, responding to diversity, you know, confirmed sexual harassment. Um I mean, you walk the walk and talk the talk by speaking out and, you know, turning your pin back. I, you know, I asked Dustin this. I mean, is the court of master sommeliers done? Is it still relevant? I mean, will it come back as it is? Will it be less influential? I mean, what are some of your quick feelings on that? Um, you know, some I, I, I decided to suspend my membership because I need to have to sometimes to, to think and to be also uh, more in tune with what my inspiration and wine well. So um, I, I don't know I don't know since then what is happening inside the court, at least for the American for the American chapter. Um, so I, I'm not going to be the, the best person to talk about that, that yeah. subject. Uh, which I because I took my distance on on purpose. Um, so you need to, as it comes, when it comes, wait to see what happens. Not necessarily. Also, you know, it's um, it was uh, it was a decision that I. Um, it, it was a, it was of course a personal decision, but it was a broader decision. Right. Um, of, uh, I, 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 I had to. My vision of of and what I believe in a in a. What, how wine should be taught? Or wine should be uh, wine world should be taught should be and, and should should be should be valued and the expertise should be appreciated. Uh, and what one is all about, I think I was just too far away since a long time. 
And I, that sounds right. I'm just curious about one thing, because I think it's what it's been about seven plus years since you, you know, became a master sommelier. Did you notice or feel this culturally as you were going through, you know, the tests and the whole system? Or you get so embedded in just studying and, you know, trying to pass. I mean, was it evident no, to but you? For, once again, once again, this is a, this is a fact that I was living in my New York microcosm, right? Uh, and I was very lucky to to be able to to go through this uh, different level of examination by barely leaving New York. You know, I, right. of course, I left New York for the examination, but um, it's not like uh, I was living and breathing and, and thinking a mess. Um, and, and my and my close relationship where with people I, I'm, I'm friends with today and I admire and they have the, they have the pin but they are they were the people around me uh, so uh, I, I have to I have to admit that the level of um, the level of ethical issue uh, more than issues major uh, right major behaviors that some of them could be uh, could be could be qualified as a criminal right. where just um, uh, for some of them were were as much as a surprise for some other people reading these papers um, and uh, awesome. the, well said and so uh, it was it was uh, the job that if I was not even believing into some of the or a hundred percent. I want to be a hundred percent behind every project I'm part of, and right. at, on a on a on a on a content point of view, on a philosophical point of view, and of course on an ethical point of view. That's and, a fair uh, disclaimer. You know why be involved then? And so, uh, I, I and I didn't believe, and that was my personal take that uh, the change I could be of any any, any uh, the change I could be part of any change coming from the inside. And it was time for me, in fact, to move on. Well, good um, for you for the realization and the courage. And again, but, people look towards you, you know. But there so. is great people in this. In, there is still great people. In, yeah, and there is that great are trying people. to. They, they are trying. This is their decision. Change. Maybe, maybe I can be seen as somebody that is a coward is not going to fight the right fight. But there is some of the some of the core basic principle or ways of of, uh, of of teaching and thinking about wine that I just can't I can't teach and do anymore. Uh, right. It's just way too far from from where I am. Uh, I don't say they are not right. I don't say they are not uh, valuable to a certain point. That's absolutely not that. Uh, um, this this path really helped a lot of professionals to get their feet into the wine industry to feel more confident to start a journey. Uh, so there is definitely some really positive things out of that, but that's also um, I, I think there is a uh, there is a, a necessity to change the way we are seeing wine, but uh, what matters when we are teaching wine and to be able to think about it, to work on it, to propose alternatives. Uh, or that could be a, a complement, like a, to, to complete and to, to be to be on. You know, something that will add on to the dialogue. I had to be out, so I could do it freely by myself on my own. On, on my own, I could be uh, doing free work. So I, I'm working on stuff. I agree, and I hope that you know, like I said, they're starting to think about those things because it's pretty deep set. 
And all I could say is good luck to them because they're going to need it. Now, can I talk to you on something a little more joyful? Mm -hmm. um, I'm always in wonderment that sommeliers want to, have to, or actually make wine. Um, so tell me a little about... You're making wine with Nathan Kendall up in the Finger Lakes. Tell me a little about what's going on in Chepica. Um, yeah, so let's, let's your put that wine project. <laughs> let's put that straight. Nathan is making the wine. <laughs> and I am, okay. I am the right. chili. I'm, I'm the cheerleader on the okay. side. Uh, <laughs> uh, my dear Nathan, oh la la, uh, you know it's. Uh, Nathan's killing it up there, by the way. Nathan is, uh, is is killing it. He's such a talented, uh, talented winemaker and uh, and a great and a great friend. So, but GPK, thanks for asking, is doing well. Uh, so despite uh, you know our project is so small that, and it's for both of us, it's a side project doesn't bring any money uh, because we are reinvesting everything in it. We are in a very luxurious position of being able to do it without having to fear any kind of thing. So last year, um, Nathan was able to do the 2020. I was able to go for a couple of days for harvest with him. Um, and we are releasing it uh, in three or four weeks. Okay. Uh, Just to tell people, you know, the, the wines you're making. It's a handful. But tell them about the wines and the grapes. Yeah, Um I think people need to understand that Chepica is a, is more a, a social and, and political project uh, than and than a, a, a kind of classic wine project. Right. Um, the idea was to uh, originally was to find organic wine for me for my previous restaurant, and by looking for this, it was to realize that. Uh, we we need to encourage an, an evolution of uh, of, uh, of farming through an evolution of the consumer taste. You know, when you start to study a bit the history of wine, you realize that a lot of the changes that have been happening in the vineyard are not happening because of the grape quality per se or climate, but are usually happening because of market change and that are going to drive another type of varieties to be planted or another style of wine to be developed. Uh, and so he came up to this idea that uh, the hybrids of New York that represent 70 plus percent of all the state's planting of grapes uh, were absolutely like, disconsidered, glossed over, while certain of them happens to be the, the oldest varieties in the states and also very suited for the climate. And so if you need to start to talk about this kind of Place, sense of place or terroir, there is a legitimacy of these grapes. So we thought that what what lacked for them was a consideration into the quality of the winemaking. So we decided to start Chepica by finding this 100 years old plus vine of Catoba and Delaware that are considered original hybrids from America that have been organically farmed and certified since 1971 and to try to make it with the lowest amount of intervention uh, possible in a style of wine that was very popular in the 19th century in New York. We call the project Chepica, Chepica which is a, a Lenape word from the Delaware tribe to, to insist on the heritage uh, uh, of this grape. And it means brute because we are just doing what was happening in the 19th century. So the project is more about saying if you really want to promote an idea of 
sense of place and uh, legitimacy of a, of a crop and adaptation to the evolution of, of the climate and its difficulties, there is probably some plants and crops that are already growing, but because of they are not successful, not known or not marketable, you're just not paying attention to them. And if you start to do them well, you know what? They may represent a future or a path of consideration. So we are very happy to see that since we started the project, which is very small now, it's, we are doing a couple of hundred cases a year because we want to keep it to the quality level that we want and we want to keep it independent and all that. We've been seeing more and more people working with hybrids in the finger legs, reconsidering them, uh, trying to convert to organic, uh, right. which we think is a very positive path for the region. Sounds great. Um, I can't wait. I've had a few bottles. Um, so, yeah. So there will be I, more this year because we're going to yeah, make a, 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 a fourth to, uh, cuvee. We are making so a new cuvee this year. So we are growing look, production. <laughs> look out for Chepika. That's C-H-E-P-I-K-A. Um Pascaline, we only have about five or so minutes left. And one of the fun things I do on the show, and you've done it a few times before, is my wine list where I ask my guests five questions, the same five questions to everyone, the same five questions for over four years. And you've done this a few times, but it's fun to people like to hear, you know, your responses to these. So I'm going to give you five questions. Don't dwell on, um, you know, whatever comes to mind spontaneous. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? What are you tasting? What have the seasonal changes brought? What's in your fridge? What are you liking? And you can't say Chenin Blanc. Anything else? Oh, my God. <laughs> give me a couple oh, things. You are so terrible. Um, yes. I'm oh, torturing no, 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 no. you to you're, think you're, out you're, of the box. Or thinking out of the box. Alors, so what I'm drinking? Uh, you, 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 you received Jane, uh, Jane Lopes, not a long time ago. So uh, I've been drinking uh, more wine from Australia and New Zealand. Uh, from, uh, of, bon, full disclosure, I'm really looking to taste and drink wines that are made in a very respectful way in terms of their farming practices, you know, and farming right. practices in general, ecological and social, which the absolute both of them should go hand by hand. So, so there's a lot of stuff coming now from Australia and New Zealand that are quite exciting. Our friends uh, Jane Lopes and Jonathan Ross are yes. trying to bring those kind of wines to the States, which is exciting. So, All right. Yes. So Australian wine, New Zealand, you know, that are respectful of, you know, their wine making and more importantly, yeah. farming practices. All right. So that's a good answer. Um, second, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, your answers are good. Um, the second question is kind of the silliest, but it's fun. It's your your favorite wine and food pairing. Oh la la! Is there something you know since you're a kid, or you know something that's just change. ooh la la? I give you one every time. Uh, Don't think about it. I'll pull up the old uh, ones. I'll see. No, but no, tell no, me no, what's no. on what's, your mind now. What I've been listen. I've been drinking also so much Petit Mansingue and Gros Mansingue from Irulegi and Jurance. That's my new. That's not my new thing. I've been drinking that for a really, really long time. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, and right now, uh, I've been I've been just doing it with a lot of uh, Diego's food because uh, I'm eating Diego's food and restaurant food every weekend at home. Uh, so describe Diego's cuisine. I mean, is, is it? Can you 
describe it or it's so wide? Because, you know, I follow the restaurant and you and I see a lot of plating and descriptions. Oh, Diego's food is very, um, seems very uh, all, over, all over, but it's, in fact, it's very focused on very few seasonal ingredients. Uh, always uh, using some uh, few fats, um, a lot of uh, alternative in terms of acid base, a lot of fruit and a lot of fermentation right. for the acid. And always an inclusion or kind of most of the time an inclusion of any kind of umami. So it's um, it's it's a vegetable focused food uh, on the lighter side uh, with a very bright acid structure and always some um, uh, umami savory hints. Um, so it's perfect for gros and, and, and petit mansang with age. Voila, yeah. this is what I'm drinking a that's, lot that's at a home. Good one. Trust me, nobody's ever given me that combo before <laughs> after 200 interviews. All right, so third question. And when I ask this question, a lot of people answer it with Racine's because of the wine list, because of you, because of the knowledge and service. So the question is your favorite wine restaurant and or bar. And I'm being redundant because I want you to answer that based on people that have a good wine list, you know, committed to, you know, the right wines. The vibe is really nice. The knowledge is good. The people there. Are there a few places without you excluding anyone, you know, that do it well along with you? Listen, there is way more people that are doing it way better than me. No, 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 no. I'm not going to let you get away with that. If it was true, I would say, yeah, but answer the question, no. No, but there is a lot of people. No, I I think I want to give some shout out of maybe some people that are doing it with uh, with a lot of talents and that have been being uh, uh, as well as, as put out on the list. You know, I, I really like the work of Gabriela and the list at Clay uh, in my neighborhood in Harlem. If you've never been, it's... What's it's, the name of the place? Clay. 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 Yes. Yeah. Which is... A, That's a good... I'm glad you thought of something like that. Anything else like that come to mind? Um, after that, I haven't been out since a year right. plus. So, uh, so you know, so. by the way, everyone's been answering the question that way. But I'm glad you thought of Clay and gave them a shout out. That's a good one. Yeah, and so I, I forgot to say, you know, I post the list so that people, you know, could read and you know yeah. share and all of that. I, all I right, want to, can I mention just a place? So I'm yeah, just looking at the place I've been uh, over the last year because you know I, there is a lot of people I want to show up, but I haven't been to the restaurant, so it feels sometimes. But in 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 uh, um, I'm going to give you an address in, uh, in, uh, in, in Montreal where I think it's fantastic and nobody really talks about that place. It's called Foxy. F-O-X-Y F- or I-E? Yes, F-O-X-Y. Okay. Uh, of course, we have our friends at Candide and we have all our friends at Le Var Mon Lapin and all that. But yeah. I have to say, Foxy, um, there is probably one of the most brilliant sommelier I know that is working there. Who uh, is it? Her name is Véronique Dalle. Okay. You, you Spell her last name. D A L L E. You I probably know. never heard of her. Um, one of the most discreet ones, but uh, those are the she, best. She's really uh, an outstanding wine professional. I have to say. That's a good. Uh, I'm glad. I'm you looking brought... up to her. So Gabriela at Clay and, and Veronique at Foxy. Uh, and those so... are great ones. All right, my fourth question. 
I'm very curious, although I think I could probably guess it. The question is, what's your favorite all-time wine? Now, let me back up. When I structured this question years and years ago, I wanted people like Pascaline to come on and tell me the rarest, you know, most expensive wine they ever drank. I kind of don't give a crap about that anymore. The question <laughs> evolved into, what is that wine that was just important to you you know at any point you know was influential changed the way you think you know and it could have been at sort of a, an event you know whether it was a, an engagement you know your engagement a baby being more you know stuff like that what what what's that important wine to you and it doesn't have to be one but you know is there a wine a time a play is there anything you could think of that falls under that description yeah, of course, there is a lot of them. This is, we go back to this idea of wine being a social product that are linking you in a way or a time that is unbelievable. Yeah, the, the wine that, there is a wine that, uh, you know, for me is, is, is a very, very important wine. Um, um, it's, 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 it's a wine you can't find. It's a, it's a wine that okay. I'm, it's a wine I'm making with friends. Um, for my wedding, I got, uh, some of my winemaker friends in the Loire, they gave me a, a barrel, an empty barrel, okay. and uh, seven of them. And uh, they, it was in 2017, and they, they filled it with wine, each of them. Ah, you still uh, have any left? But we are making it every year. So it's, okay. called, it's called the Barrel Cuvée. Uh, it's only Chanel, of course. And of course. Every, every year it goes from uh, one, one domain to the other. We meet together to bottle it and to share it, and um, and they are friends. And you know this wine, uh, it's not the best wine in the world, absolutely not. But sure this it is, ain't bad. <laughs> you know, it's 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 just a magical wine because it represents uh, a lot of the reason why I'm, uh, I decided to dedicate my life to this uh, to this product. So. Two things. Yeah. One, that's the way you answer the question. And two, the question, favorite all-time wine, isn't always about the wine. It's sometimes about the story, and there's no better story than that. So that's a goodie. All right, <laughs> last question. And you certainly could handle this as well as anyone. I ask people to recommend the best wines around 15 to 20, 22 bucks, a red and a white. You can give me a category like or a region like Muscadet, which is good value, a maker, whatever. And I always say, you know, my kids are in their mid-late 20s. They can't bring crappy wine to parties now or as gifts. Um, but they can't spend 40, 50 bucks. So where do they impress, you know, at 18, 20, 22 bucks? Give me a white suggestion and a red suggestion. Oh, la, la. Bon. Oh, I'm not going to say Muscadet even. I, I would love to say Muscadet because we both know it's the best one in the world for such a cheap price. So I'm going to add that. <laughs> We're going to agree on that, but you're going to give me another one. <laughs> I always say Muscadet. No, uh, I, I, I think uh, you have a, a, a lot, a lot of gems still uh, in the southwest of France. Uh, I think it's it's a trove of, of incredible wine. And give me an example. Well, we, I'm going to give you multiple examples. You can have okay. some fantastic Bordeaux blend from Côte de Duras that probably nobody knows, or Bergerac with some 
terrific Bordeaux blends are going to make you reconcile with Bordeaux blend. You can okay. go down to Cahors and go get some Malbec. You can go down to Eroulegui and get some Cabernet Franc with some Tanat. And then you are drinking their rosé. And then you are going to Jurançon when you can drink this great Mansingue. And then you can go on and go on. You go to Gaillac and you are drinking some Landeuil and some Mondinc. Um, so it's, it's, it's fascinating to see that this area we've been talking about for a while, they still haven't got the recognition they, they deserve in terms of the quality of their wines because it's fantastic. And for the white, instead of, uh, maybe of Muscadet, I think you can say that uh, you have a lot of really great options coming from Georgia. Ah. <laughs> and I'm drinking a lot of Georgian wine. Okay. And still, because more than a great value wine, um, I think it's, it's still a very, I don't think we realize how much if it's a privilege to taste some wine that are so authentic. Yeah. Um, I mean, are those wines made in, what are they called, caveries? Quavery and with Quavery. indigenous grape. And I think yeah. having this, this experience today is, is priceless. So one can be cheap, but the experience is priceless. And yeah, is that, that's an important, you know, that's what makes wine so interesting. It's everything behind it. Um, like I said, I'm going to post these, but I need a mini favor from you. While it's fresh in your mind, when we're done with the show, I will send you an email to remind you to kind of the list you ticked off for the reds. I want you, because it was hard for me to keep track. And even if I go back and listen, I just want you to kind of relist that so I can post it, because I think a lot of people will be interested in that. Pascaline, we've run out of time. That was over an hour. My engineer is ready to kill me because I went past my deadline, but how could I not with you? I could sit here and talk to you for hours, days, weeks, and I hope to talk to you again. Let me do a quick wrap up and I just want to get some follow-up information from you. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. On Instagram, we're at SBenRuby. On Twitter, we're at BenRuby. But you could always use the hashtag The Grape Nation on both to get to us. Um, we're trying to build a community on Clubhouse. So follow us there at BenRuby. Ben and as I mentioned, I will post Pascaline's wine list on our social media sites you know, this following week. Um, Pascaline, if people want to follow you, get more about Racines, Chepica, where are the best places for people to turn to? Uh, still probably Instagram. Huh? <laughs> okay. Social media is everywhere. So you are at Pascaline Le Peltier? Yeah, and the Racine okay. NY and the Chepica wine. Yeah, okay, so Racine's R-A-C-I-N-E-S, and Chepica we spelled before. Um, but if you Google them and you're close, I'm sure everything will come up. Um, Pascaline, I want to thank you. For the month of May, I invited what I think are old friends, people that have been on the show before that speak very honestly about everything. And these are some interesting and trying times. And there were only a handful of people that I, you know, wanted to hear from initially. And you certainly were one of them. So I thank you, Pascaline Le Peltier, for coming on The Grape Nation, you know, to talk about everything. Thank you to our engineer, Armin, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Mm -hmm.
The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.